I want to speak, the Lord helping me and the Lord willing, on seven days of fellowship with seven men of faith. Seven days of fellowship with seven men of faith. For our basis of our reading, we turn to Acts chapter 20, please. And I'm going to take my jacket off again. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Acts 20, verse 1. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them, departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months, and when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them at to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that in quietness and confidence is your people's strength. We thank you in you, O God. We lift up our hearts. We raise our eyes toward heaven. And we know that you are the lover of our soul. You gave your son for us to die in Calvary. And we thank you for that. For his precious shed blood. And Heavenly Father, now would you help me to break this bread of life. Simple as it is, Father, we ask you to help your people to receive it. To eat off it and to be filled. Glorify your name. Glorify the Lord Jesus. For his name's sake we pray. Amen. Seven days of fellowship with seven men of faith. And it tells us the names of the men in our reading. And then in verse 6 it tells us they abode seven days. On the Lord's day, which would be our Sunday. Paul preached to them until midnight. You thought I was long-winded, today. Eh? In fact, you read on, there's a young man. Eutychus fell into a sleep and fell off and they thought he was dead, fell from a roof. He had preached so long. And the reason I thought I'll bring this today was it's surprising. Please, please hear me now. I'm not speaking of one person or anyone in particular. I'm speaking to all of us, to myself, okay? It's surprising how many Christians wane in their faith how they get weak in their faith, especially not only in troublesome times, but in prosperous times. One can be dangerous and the other one can be as dangerous. And in holiday times. As a shepherd, you'll know when you're among people who's weak, who's failing in their faith, who's wavering. It take a while to pick up, but you watch the sheep and you see that, you see it in them. So you set out to pray for them and then if they continue to look like they're drifting, so you speak to them. Or you, whether it's text or message, phone, visit, whatever, you speak to them, church. See how they are and some will say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And others will, yes, I need help. The idea here was there was an uproar in Ephesus. And it's in chapter 19, their previous chapter. And with that uproar, Paul went through a terrible time. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 
just for a couple of verses or three few verses. 1 Corinthians 15, just to give you an idea. First Corinthians 15, and that's right on down to verse 32. Listen to what Paul says. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, men beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? He's speaking on the people who are waning and wondering and uh, thinking, is there really a resurrection or has it happened or have we missed it? Will it happen? And their, their faith is being tried and they're, they're discouraged. Paul said, if there's no resurrection, we're lost. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, we're finished. And so beasts at Ephesus are in chapter 19 of the book of Acts. Look what he says. Let's read this first. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If this is it, brothers and sisters, let's go home and close the doors. And let's go and do what we want and live how we like and be where we want. And Let's not bother coming to church if we don't need to come. Are we all in the, you understand what I'm saying? If this is all it is, if it's, if there's no resurrection, if this is just us playing church, then just forget it. If Christ isn't real, if his blood doesn't cleanse from all sin, listen, don't demean the power of the blood of Christ. When a man and woman get saved, they're saved. They're forgiven. They're blood washed. They're blood bought that belong to Christ. They need nothing else done to them. The blood pays it all. And it wanes people and makes them weaken their faith and wonder about things. And there's craziness going on. The crazy stuff that's going on. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ sets a captive free. Amen. 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 And that's believe it. And if we say we believe it, that's practice it. No matter what people try to say. Every one of us from here, sorry, on the way in the corner doing the sound so wonderfully, down to the dad side right up here, to Louise and myself, I'm not mentioning the children's names, Deonza and Pastor Lauren. Every one of us have a past. And that past can creep up on us, whether people, whether the Lord's paid for it or not, because people like to dig it up. And it pulls you down and it brings you back and it hinders you and hampers you. And I was speaking to someone this week about something they thought they'd get over and people just wanted to dig up their past again. And I says, look, it's under the blood. Get on with it. I believe in the power of the blood. I believe in the power of the blood of the land. If I don't, I'm going home, brothers, and I'm not coming back. I believe in the resurrection and it justifies us. Raised on the justification just as if you never sinned. I believe it. Do you ever get discouraged? All the time. An awful lot. An awful lot. But I still believe that Jesus paid my debt. And I still believe that my sins are all washed away. And I still believe that I'm a new creature in Christ every day under that blood. And I still believe the Father declares me righteous. Even though, remember I told you a word last week, Ammonius down here says, nudge the person beside him. I didn't know what that meant, Wick. <laughs> Send me a message later. I was one of the ones who didn't know what it meant. Even though I'm Wick. <laughs> Even though I feel. And the problem is there are people with failures in their life. And here's a scripture for us. He who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. I'm just going to speak from my heart this morning. You understand that? Showing yourself super spiritual doesn't mean you are. Hello? The Pharisees tried it. The Sadducees tried it. Look at me. Jesus says, I look at you. 
Yeah, look at you. Every one of us are on a level playing field. Every one of us. Hear that? How many of us? Is there anybody more special than the other? Higher and more lofty than anyone else? Every one of us are saved by the blood of Christ. Who are under the blood. Every one of us are living in grace because we're all failures in this life. Every one of us. Here we find that the apostle says, I fought beasts. These were men who were making statues of silver onto Diana, the goddess. It said that, that uh, the Diana is also the, the goddess Artemis, and the Artemis temple was a, had 127 giant pillars to hold it up. So big it was. Can you imagine what it cost to keep that up? And it says, we have to show our spirituality here because this gospel of Christ, saved by grace, hold on a wee minute. And they're still up in church. <coughs> Pray for the dead, isn't there? When the money goes under the coffers and our soul jumps out of purgatory. Isn't that right? Put your left leg in, your left leg out. Then out, then out. Do you know what's where that song comes from? What's that song's about? Hokey Cokey? And it's in Protestant circles, charismatic circles. Pentecostal circuits, spiritual superiority. People thinking they're higher than everybody else. Protestant popery. Hello? Right. Isn't that right? That's right yeah. And Paul says here, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's where I run down the first 32 again. If after the manner of men, so he's speaking about men, I have in Christ, pardon me, if I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I mean, if this, if this whole thing that even the pastor mentioned when we're breaking bread, this isn't a Sunday thing. If this is let's just do a Sunday thing and go home and we live like devils or live how we like or gossip and slander and talk and fight and argue and get on, then there's no Christ in it. There's no Christ in it, brothers and sisters. Paul says, let's just go home and eat and drink and die. But if we are real, if we really know that Jesus has risen from the dead. If God is real to us, then we'll live like it outside. And we'll live like it with one another. Notice what he says in verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Or good lifestyle even. As I said, this isn't to anybody in particular. This, isn't, this is just in general to the church. Because I notice it. And I'm going to look at how people get these seven men of faith and seven days of fellowship in a moment. I'm bringing you into somewhere here. You see all this riot, upheaval, and uproars going on in Ephesus. And by the time we get into chapter 20, Paul's getting a breather. We're going to look at it. He's getting a breather and he's taking stock. And he moves on. And he moves on. But here's something I want to ask you. I wonder how many of us have been deceived. Christians, no. Deceived by the world. Deceived by the devil. Oh, we can go. Oh, we're deceived by the word. Many of us have been deceived by so-called Christians. Huh? Or maybe we have been deceived in others. Makes you think, doesn't it? You know what it does? It corrupts good manners, doesn't it? It, it infiltrates you and it, it does something to you. Awake, he says in verse 34. Waking up. Church, let's be awake to these things. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your same, he says. He says, you know what? You need to wake up because there's people out there who say that they're saved and they're all highfalutin. Look at me. I'm, I'm kingpin here among the church of God's people and I'm a spiritual superiority and an authority. Watch me waft around as if I'm floating on a cloud here. 
And there's people there and they're all deceived by it. Now listen, brothers and sisters, nobody says waking up. And this is what he says, ready? Let me just get it again, I close it over. He says, waking up. And he says, if you don't waken up, he says, I'm speaking this to your shame. So, there has been a, an uproar. Look at first one of our reading. And after the uproar was ceased, there's now a calm. You ever see a, a hurricane or a tornado and it's just causing havoc, flying around? You ever get your life's like that tornado and that hurricane and it picks up parts of the buildings you see them in America? Alison and the girls, when we were lost in the States, you're driving along in a car and on your mobile phone, you get these warnings just out of nowhere. Hurricane alert, hurricane, or, or tornado alert, or whatever. And it comes on your phone while you're driving, wherever you are. It comes on the TV, the news flashes, just sitting. And wasn't so many miles away from where we were, a tornado went right up through, causing damage. Now, we didn't say it was about 10, 12 miles away, and the, the wood and the buildings flying up, and it just causes chaos, and it leaves what? Devastation, doesn't it? just causes devastation. And that's what our lives are like sometimes. The whirlwind comes in, the storm comes and rips everything up that was all well settled and it just causes devastation and it's all floating around in the earth until it has to come down with a clump and you're left with a mess. It's like that in our own lives and it's like that in, in the, when we're as Christians in the world, but it can be like that in church. It can be like that too. And then all of a sudden, when that whirlwind passes, the noise, the rattles, the bangs, everything, the rushing of the wind, and when that passes by, it's like a deadly, it's like a deathly calm. You know, you can actually hear the birds singing after it all. Such a, such a calming of it. And it's the same here with Paul. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them. And what do you find is in your life, whether it's friends, family, um, loved ones, church, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, you always find there are those who are around that you can call on. You look at the devastation that's left, yet there's some sort of a calm going, what do you do with all of this? You're trying to take stock of everything that's happened. And like Paul, what we need to do is we need to look for those who are still standing, still with us, still beside us, still going on with us. You look for those ones and what? You embrace them. You embrace them. For for they're there to help you, to strengthen you. We find here that in such a storm, because of Demetrius and the craftsmen, we're told they they cause this uproar. And it has to remind us that the brevity of it must be culled from, if you want, Paul's epistles, which we have done in 1 Corinthians 15. Beasts at Ephesus, these men were like beasts against me. And when you're out there, you're in the world or you're at work or whatever you're doing, I mean, I don't mean it to be ignorant or, or rude, but, but it's just that someone can come with you with venom that's they're like beasts at you because of your faith. And it's disappointing, it's disheartening, and it can actually happen too in the church. And Paul mentions these people and in the midst of all of it that's happened, in the midst of all of it, there's one we man. In the midst of the uproar, in the midst of the riot, there is one wee man. He's called the town clerk. <laughs> the wee town clerk comes up and sticks up for him and says, now hold on a minute, let's look at it. Go to chapter 19. Verse 35. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he started to settle them down. It's good to have a calm head in a boisterous situation. It's good to have a quiet spirit when trouble raises its head. It's good to have someone from the outside looking in when the whirlwind's going around you. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesians is a worshipper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. Notice he's quieting it down. 
There's always someone in the midst of it that God has sitting there to help you along. Try and give you a sober thought. A quietened spirit. And you see, you can go to the evil communications if you want. And you can, you, you can turn it around where it's all about someone else or something else. We, we all have been there. All of us have been there. But I'd rather a town clerk come out. Say, look, let's settle a wee second. Is this really necessary? Notice what happens here. Things settle down. And in chapter 20, the uproar has ceased. Paul embraces the disciples and he decides to go or to leave. Okay? And we're told that he goes to find these men or some trouble with him and he meets others there. After the uproar, he goes to Greece for three months. In verse 3, when, Jew, when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to set sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Now let me tell you what happens here. So he's went over towards the, the west of Greece and he's going to get on a boat and sail around to Syria. But the Jew says, Paul's getting on the boat. And either they'll be on the boat, because he's going to go to Jerusalem after that. Either they'll be on the boat, throw him off in the middle of the sea, or apprehend him by ship and kill him. Paul gets news of this. So he decides to go over mountainous, more backward road areas, and, and he decides he's going to travel that way. So the, the, the actual the Jews who were out to kill him actually turned Paul's mind away, thinking, I'm going this way. This is what it has to be. This is the way God has me leading me. And then we wonder, like, I knew, oh, this is of God, but this happened. Or I didn't understand. I was praying for it, and this didn't work out the way I thought. And I ended up thinking I'm going that way, but I'm going to end up over this way. And the Jews had, by, by divine providence of God, the Jews had turned Paul's direction Jews lay wait for him as he was about to set sail into Syria and purposed, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Here's something I've written. If you want to remember this. Human events are part of divine providence. Human events are part of divine providence. And there's things that we thought should happen one way and they didn't and God set us off another way. And we have racked ourselves trying to fight to get this way. And then disappointed when it ended up over the other way. And it's been people. It's been situations. It's been things they have said or done or got involved with. And it's totally almost destroyed us. And the Jews done the same to Paul. And Paul ended up going an entirely different route. But it was actually of God's will. It was God's will. Human events are part of divine providence, brothers and sisters. We have to believe if God's sovereign, then he's over all things. At all times. It says here in verse 4, And there accompanied him on the Asia, Sopater of Berea, of the Thessalonians, and Aristarchus of Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. And then Paul tells us in verse 5, they meet a Troas. And then verse 6 says, they had seven days of fellowship together. Brothers and sisters, when your plans are changed, trust it to be all in the providence of God. When your disappointments come, it's the yielding of ourselves to say, Lord, you know best. You know best. No matter who's done what, no matter who said what, no matter what the devil's thrown at you, no matter the hurt and the disappointment and the disillusionments that come, understand this, that he is still on the throne. He's still in charge. He hasn't left you and he hasn't forsaken you. And as it were, the Jews moved on him. He couldn't go the way he thought, but rather he went a different way. But God had something better for him. What? Seven days of fellowship with seven men of faith. After an uproar, after the whole lot had come, after the tiredness of the months, he's weary and he's worn out. And Paul is met 
and traveling along and then meets the rest of seven men of faith. Here's something we have to understand. It's important. I'm saying this. This is something you would say to youth, isn't it? What do you hear? This is something you'd say to children, something you'd say to Christian youth, but I'm saying it to the church. I'm saying it to adults. Because you might be an adult and young in the faith. Or you might be an adult and long in the tooth in the faith. And you've forgotten your ways. Who you fellowship with is important. Who you allow into your life is important. Paul knew the caliber of these people. They weren't some charismatic headbenders. These were men of faith who knew the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you be careful. You be very careful who you fellowship with. The thing about it is here, in times of weariness and trouble, you can do one of two things here. You can either run away from God or run into God. The name of the Lord is as a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it, not away from it. The problem is there's Christians sitting at home from here this morning and they're weak in faith and they're struggling. I'm not saying anything to hurt them. I don't mean it bad. You're not at the right place, brother. You're not in the right place, sister. Locationally, I mean. This is it. Round this table. Place of worship, place of the word, place of fellowship, brothers and sisters. You're not in the right place. I'm going to sit at home. I'm just going to be on my own. That's the problem. That's the problem. Because when you're starting to feel spiritually low, the worst place you can be is on your own. The worst place you can be is sitting with your own thoughts. Oh, I'm going to meet the Lord. Yeah, you can meet the Lord anyway. You don't have to come here to meet the Lord. But you need fellowship. Paul says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of some is. And people say, well, I don't need church. Well, here's the thing. The Word says you should be there. And what we find is, especially even at summertime, people go away. And their routine changes. In other words, that which when they were praying doesn't pray. They don't seek the Lord anymore. They don't read the word when they're away. They don't find a fellowship to fellowship. They don't find that place with God. And what happens, they start looking more towards where we'll just go out tonight and we'll not do anything that's Godward. Aren't they telling the truth, brothers and sisters? Don't we all do it at times? Isn't it all? I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I'm talking about all of us. Unless you're fully, deeply grounded in the faith, you're not last long. And when the weakness of it comes, you know what happens? Church is the last place you want to be. I'm not talking about now if you're not well. I'm not talking about that. You're unable. I'm talking about well, able body. Please don't get me wrong. We find it whenever. Paul is in this place now where he's under attack from the Jews. God's providence is still on him. Still with him. He's a, God's hand is with him and on him. And he brings him a different way. And that which might have seemed, I wanted to sail, it would have been easier. He goes across the roads and the hills and the valleys and mountains. But he ends up with seven men of faith who are going to fellowship with him for seven days. Seven. God's perfect number, isn't it? God's divine perfect number. You wonder why the Holy Spirit uh, puts it in the pen of Luke who writes Acts, the book of Acts. You wonder why he puts it in the pen of Luke to write down 77 men's names. Do you think at the time their names were going to be written down in our Bible? No. Did you think at the time there's going to be mentioned Paul was here with us for seven days? I mean, we had Paul who was in Arabia for three years, three and a half years before he, when, before, when he first got saved. We have Paul Manson here. He's away for three months here. He stayed at Ephesus for two years. 
But here it mentions these seven days were precious. Why? They were at a critical point in time was not only for Paul, but for these men. Maybe these men needed Paul as much as Paul needed them. And you need your brothers and sisters as much as they need you. And they get together for seven days. I'd love to know what they were doing. Knowing Paul, I'm sure it was prayer meetings. I wonder how many turned up to the prayer meeting. <laughs> I'd be honest, considering people away in the size of our church, we actually do quite well compared to some. We do used to do really well. So it's not a condemnation. But I wonder how many turn up to the prayer meeting. The Bible, Paul's Bible studies. He's probably going, Paul is long-winded. Or I wonder, did they say, I need fed? I need fed. That's how we approach the Word of God. It's what we, it's how we come to the house of God. We should come expecting, brothers and sisters, not dead, not angry, not hurtful, not bitter, not annoyed. Not ready for uh, uh, our dinner whenever we get out. I wish you'd hurry up and we're going to get out of here in another 10 minutes. You know? I wonder what would happen if we were able to say, let's put a table down the back. And look, nobody complains here about time. And I'm, I, 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 I have to admit, never. And I'm grateful for that. There's places if you're... I, I know a man and he sends me over stuff from San Antonio in Texas. And he has a... Bong clock on the wall every time 40 minutes comes, ding, next thing he has to get off the pastor. And he's been in that ministry for 70 years. He's really old now, and every now and again you'd hear him saying, Oh, the clock's going to go off, I have to stop here. And he's in food flow, and the spirit man's in Pentecost for years. I wonder with Paul and these men for seven days, I wonder what their Bible studies were like. Now here's the thing, each one of them, let's just focus on Paul, but each one of them could have run away. See all that trouble I've had, I don't want any more of this. I'm, I'm staying home today. You know what it tells me? It tells me where they are. It tells me where they are. Rather than where they should be. Who's going to be honest this morning? You ready? I told you I'm going to speak from my heart, didn't I? Who's going to be honest this morning at this? How many of us? Look, let me say this first and then I'll ask the question, okay? There's this man get up out of bed one Sunday morning and he's really down and he's moping about. And his wife says, what's wrong with you? He says, I really don't want to go to church this morning. I really, really, really don't want to go. He says, you have to go. He says, no, I, don't. I really don't. But I don't want to go. He says, but you have to. You're the pastor. <laughs> so many of us would be sitting at home saying, I really don't want to go. I think I'll stay home. Be honest. All over. All over. And the rest were all theirs. So, These are all the honest ones. It's human nature. That's why I'm saying it's not not just that it's you or it's all of us. It's human nature. It's the flesh and it's the spirit. And it's the spirit overcoming the flesh. It's the spirit overcoming who or what is more important. Is it to sit on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee and watch TV or read your magazine? I don't know what people do on Sunday morning. I'm always here because... I'm the pastor. <laughs> but I, I don't know. But even when I wasn't, I wasn't uh, at home. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, I'm trying to help you because this is when weakness sets in. This is when uh, 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 lethargy sets in. This is when the enemy comes and gets at you. This is when he comes to, 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 to speak to you. And you get worse and you get worse. And people run away. See the troubles and the trials? Do you see the uproars? Do you see the, 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 the whirlwinds that come in and, and the tornadoes into your life? Let them, let them drive into Christ. Drive you into the prayer meeting. Drive you into his arms. To drive you into the faith. Not away from him. Not away from the house of God. And not away from the faith. But to drive you into it to say, Now I need you more than ever. 
I need you more than ever. Seven men of faith with seven days of fellowship. Trust God, brothers and sisters, when things change. You see, when they do, it's for your good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul tells us we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And that mind is superseded with the will of the flesh at times. Superseded with the will of the flesh. We have the mind of Christ. You know what the mind of Christ is? To do his Father's will. To do his Father's will. And in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, Paul tells us we have the mind of the Spirit. So when we don't know what's happening, when there's a change of plan, when things don't or didn't go our way, then trust in the providence of Almighty God. Trust in your Heavenly Father who loves you. Listen to Thomas Watson on the providence of God. You ready? There are three things in providence. God's foreknowing, God's determining, and God's directing all things to their periods and events. Do you see every situation you're in? And every storm that's come through, every uproar now you're in with the devastation of what it's left behind. God knows all about that. Remember here on Tuesday night, Ronnie and Simon, by the way, got away to Poland. We thought their flights were going to be cancelled because of airstrikes and so on. And they were praying about their concern because there were the meetings over there to do with the, with the Polish people and children and stuff like that. And uh, they eventually got away. So we give God the glory for it and we thank the Lord for that. But, you know, he said, you know, he was annoyed. He was concerned about this. Not right, Grace? He was and. Sitting here on Tuesday night, and I thought, well, let's pray about this and mention this before God and see what the Lord will do. And his will be done. Thankfully, it was his will for them to go. But here's the thing. And I quoted this, and we all know it off by heart, and I quoted it to Ronnie, and it's in Romans 8 and 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Isn't that right? So, and for we know. Starts off with for we know. For we know, do we? <laughs> To know here means to know through experience of who he is and what he's done before. Do we know? That all things will work together for the good. I can't help thinking whenever I think of this as a, in, in Genesis 50 um, when the brothers had sold Joseph. Remember threw him down the pit and said, told his, uh, uh, his daddy he was dead and, and then he's picked up by uh, uh, by the Ishmaelites and he's taken into uh, Potiphar's house and you know and then into Egypt and so on uh, and we know that the, the story of it that he's raised up after after interpreting the dreams and then the, the rest of the brothers all come years later you remember that story and do you know what he said and I'm paraphrasing he's meant it for evil God meant it for good Look, I've had people I've had people from slander to who don't even know me by the way saying this, that and the other I've had people trying to turn others away from even coming here you have been there you have heard it And it seems the more the devil tries, the more God blesses. That's right. That's right. The more the devil's trying it, the more God's blessing it. Not because of me, because it's what he's going to do. It's his work. And it might be in your life. And there's times our heads are just spinning. The devastation's all around us. The tornado has went on. The whirlwind's passed. The uproar has ceased. We've now decided, right, let's just move on with this. How do we pick up the pieces? You know how Paul picked up the pieces? He went on preaching. He went on speaking about Christ. He fell into fellowship with these seven men. The 
thing is, you and I may not know God's mind and his thoughts fully. But we can know them through his spirit and his word if we have the mind of Christ. So, whatever happens to you, brother or sister, God isn't speaking to me. See, every time I open that book, every time I open that, this is inspired. It means it's God-breathed. See, from I opened that in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 20, the breath of God came on me. The word and the breath of God came on me, comes on you, speaks to you. If this is just flat page, just throw it out. It's just flat page and ink and paper until it's taken off the page and put in here. It's a life. It's a life. And Paul and seven men get down to this. Notice this. John Favell said this. These are all Puritans, by the way. John Favell said this on the question of why God's providences are often misunderstood, okay? On why God's providences are often misunderstood. This is what he says. Some providences are like Hebrew letters. They must be read backwards. Let me tell you what he means. So we read from left to right. Hebrew reads from right to left. And what he means is this. God's providences, we can't understand it. We can't figure it out or work it out. And we're going through it and we're wondering where he is and we're so far away and we're feeling weak. Listen, brothers and sisters, and when we get there, we look back and we're reading it from right to left, as it were. Like Hebrew letters, we're seeing where he was all the time. That he was in the midst. He was with us. He hasn't left us nor forsaken us. And now we're at this end. It's the... Like Hebrew letters, it's read back to front. Lord, you were there all the time. Not because he was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. That's not what it's like. I'm going to round this up for you. Your fellowship is of the utmost importance. It wasn't seven men of worldliness that Paul was like, uh, pardon me, fellowshipping with. It wasn't seven men of worldliness. It wasn't seven men of hard, staunch, ritualized religion either. It's men of faith. It wasn't seven men who had eaten too many cheese sandwiches or, and, and having visions and dreams and, and seeing devils popping out of their cornflakes and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know they're there. I believe in the spiritual world, by the way. You know that. These were seven men of faith grounded in Christ. Grounded in Christ. They spent seven days together. And the Jews may have prevented Paul going on the route he wanted to go. They may have caused him to change his plans, but God knew his thoughts toward Paul. God's plans and providence would be brought out in Paul's life. And these seven men, look, if you fellowship, we all have to make decisions in life, isn't that right? I have to make decisions in life. I remember some young ones a few years ago were speaking to me and they said, you don't know what it's like. And I know it's hard for the young ones, so don't get me wrong. Need to support them, need to help them be there. But even as adults, you know, we, we have these to face. But even as adults, we have things to face. As, as a pastor, I have things to face. You have things to face. But as a Christian, we have all things to face. All decisions to make, whether it be for the benefit or the bad, or, and, or, or the bad or the good, or the evil. Some decisions I have to make and I don't like it. Some decisions I have to make and I don't want to. I had to make a decision not so long ago on an issue, not in the Duba here, but outside of here. And I knew that it wasn't a popular decision. But I had to take my stand for what the word tells me. 
I have to do it not too long ago. Brothers and sisters, that's like when these men get together, Paul probably needed them at that point as much as they needed him. Fellowshipping together in faith. If Paul and these men hadn't have met together and had that fellowship, I wonder would we be would we be reading a different Bible if it was up to Paul and these men? I think we would. But our Bible was put together and preserved by God. These men were part of that. And all the disappointments. There was a story being written with all of them in it. For example, the first one here is Sopater, and his name means safe. It's from Soso as his name, and Pater for father. Soso and Pater put together, make his name up, and it means safe father. Or if you want, it can mean tribal kinsman, a safe tribal kinsman who's a leader of that tribe. And Sopater, that's what his name means, put together. And all of these actually are wrapped up in Christ alone. And Aristogus comes from the word Ariston, and, and, and his, his name means, first of all, the best. For example, people say, eat your breakfast, it's the best meal of the day. Isn't that right? And most important, that's what, that's what Ariston means. It doesn't mean it's better than everything else, but it's more beneficial, best. It's what's known as a superlative, and it's another word, arco. So it means the best ranking high man. It gives the idea of someone who's been high in in authority in the government even. So here's someone who's got saved who has been up in the upper echelons of of, of society. The the next one or third one is secundus. And it simply means second. So if a man had a slave, you had the primus slave, P-R-I-M-U-S, a primus slave, which was the first head slave. The one behind him was known as the secundus. He came as the backup. He was willing to be the backup. Or a servant. And his name means one willing to back and strengthen the hand. Gaius means, uh, it was a common name, it means uh, just an ordinary guy. That's what his name means. I'm just an ordinary guy. That's what I am, just an ordinary guy. In other words, he's a human being. And this means an ordinary guy, but I love the Lord. Timotheus, Time, and Theos is Timothy, or Timotheus, Time, and Theos. And, and, and Time means, gives the idea of value and of esteem. And Theos is where we get theology and so on for deity. These are the men that are around Paul. It means one who is valued, highly esteemed, or very dear to God. Tychicus, his first part of his name, Tychico, it means to make ready, to bring to pass, or to fruition, to be fruitful. In other words, it gives the idea he is a man who gets things done, who serves it out with purpose. Antrophemus means nourishment or nourisher, the nourisher, the nourisher. And all of these names, if you think of it, wrap up in Christ. Here we have the Savior Father or the Safe Father. Here we have the, uh, the, the, the best or the high ranking one who's come down to us. Here we have the one who's willing to come along to strengthen our hands. Here we have the one who, as it were, ordinary guy in the sense that he became flesh. He became like one of his own. He took on the seed of Abraham. Here we have him. He is dear to God, my beloved son. And Tychicus, here we have him in there. He's he's fruitful. He's the one who brings forth fruit, the, the, the true vine. Father is the husbandman. And those who are in him will bear fruit. He's the fruitful one. He's the nourisher, the one who sustains us at all times. See, brothers and sisters, not only were these men 
maybe looking for Paul to come along to have fellowship. Maybe Paul needed them. Your decision matters. Not only for yourself, but maybe for others. Maybe somebody's waiting for you to step up to be the Christian God wants you to be. And God has called you to be. Maybe somebody's waiting for you to step up to be the spirit-filled man and the spirit-filled woman who loves the Lord Jesus Christ to reach that soul. Maybe someone in the depths of despair is waiting for someone else to come along that's going to be able to lift them up, to pray with them, to see them healed. Maybe that's you. And rather than going to seven days of fellowship with seven men of faith, you're hiding at home. You don't want to come out. There was an uproar. You just can't muster it. Finishing with this, the Apostle Peter, when Jesus had died and went to the tomb, he risen from the dead, he says, meet me in Galilee. They're waiting and it seems like Jesus isn't going to turn up. You know what Peter says? I go a-fishing. Peter was a fisherman, now he's going back what the Lord had called him from. Now that's bad enough. That's bad enough. But he says it in the midst of all of the other disciples who are also despondent like he is because there's no faith in the midst of them to, to, to bring them on in God, to encourage them, to nurture them, to bring them up, to come secondly behind them and lift them up until they gather strength to go on and preach on. I go a-fishing. You know what they all say? We also go with thee. And you might be saying, I go a-fishing. And your children might be saying, well, then I'm going fishing too. Your grandchildren might say, well, if granny and granda's going fishing, I'm going fishing too. You may say, I'm going to go a-fishing. And Peter starts turning back to the things that he knows. The things that Christ called them from. Listen, he went fishing that night, all night, and they caught nothing. You know what that tells you? See, when you go back to the world, it's not what you thought it was. It's completely different. And you'll never be happy in it because it'll burn no fruit. It'll be emptiness for you. And it says, when the morning was now come, Jesus stayed on the shore. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. They wept all night. Oh, we've caught nothing. Here's all these fishermen. Well, we know these waters. The Lord says, you're not catching anything. And he comes along and he says, have you any meat? Joy came in the morning. God bless us all. Hope I haven't offended you. Hope you haven't fallen out with me. Hope you still all love me. Well, not all of you is dead, but I mean, if you, whoever does, 